This week's Simple Brand episode features a From the Vault discussion with Deanne Turner. As we start the summer, a lot of people are graduating and they're looking for and even starting new jobs and careers. At the same time, a number of professionals take time during the summer to either pivot in their career or start the process of redefining a new career for them. And there's no better resource to help anyone looking to jumpstart or pivot their career than DN's book, Crush Your Career, Ace the Interview, Land the Job, and Launch Your Future. We'll be back next week with our regular schedule of all new interviews with all new guests. But for now, enjoy this From the Vault discussion with Deanne Turner. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. Early on in my career, I got some advice that turned out to not be the best advice. I was told all I needed to do to excel at my career was to come in early, stay in late, work really hard, and my leadership would notice and then they would keep moving me up. It turns out that's not really how it works today. A rewarding career doesn't just happen, it's built step by step. Opportunity by opportunity, decision by decision. It takes a lot of intentionality to know the right steps to take, the right opportunities to pursue, and the right decisions to make. And no matter where someone is in their career, it can leave them with a lot of questions on how they can really excel at each new level. How do you create a personal brand and reputation that has employers seeking you before you're even seeking them? How do you really add value to your organizations and teams? How do you develop and manage the right relationships in your career? How do you lead and influence others? How do you leave a job in a way that your previous employer is singing your praises to your new employer? It's almost like you need a field manual to know exactly how to navigate these things in order to excel in your career. And that's why I'm glad to talk with this week's guest, Deanne Turner. Deanne Turner is the former head of talent with Chick-fil-A. She's the company's first female officer and was instrumental in building and growing Chick-fil-A's well-known culture. In her 33-year career with Chick-fil-A, Deanne was responsible for franchisee selection, talent acquisition, management and development, diversity and inclusion, culture and engagement, social responsibility, and sustainability. Today, she's a speaker, consultant, and author where she helps organizations create and strengthen culture and talent to better serve their customers. With all her experience, it's safe to say that Deanne knows what it takes to teach people how to build a fulfilling career. And now she's sharing those lessons in her latest book, Crush Your Career, Ace the Interview, Land the Job, and Launch Your Future. Deanne and I talk about her lessons on developing and managing your personal brand in a way that will help you to have a rewarding career and in a way that you can teach others and your team to do the same way. Here's my interview with Deanne Turner. Hi, Deanne. How are you? Doing great, Matt. It's good to be with you again. It is. Uh, Congratulations. You are now part of the Simple Brand with Matt Lyles Two-Timers Club. (laughs) Well, that feels like a a pretty special club to be in. It's pretty exclusive right now. (laughs) Well, great. You doing well today? Yes. Um, You know, I have been reading a lot of books lately, you know, because I love reading and I am so excited about your new book, Crush Your Career. I am so excited too. Today, the day this is re- this is releasing is also the day the book's releasing. So this is pretty exciting uh, day when launch day for a book is you know what you work for all that time. And so much work goes into developing and writing and editing and even launching and marketing a book. I mean, like it, it, it's like a multi-year process, right? Oh, easily and. Content like Crush Your Career, which 
the experts call evergreen content, it stays around so long that that marketing process just goes on and on and on. It, it, it doesn't really end. But the, you know, when I started out, I, from an early age, I wanted to be a writer and I always dreamed of writing a, a book. And, you know, now we're into three, but so I feel like I've accomplished that bucket list, but I didn't know all the other things that I would learn in the process. And the tedious part, the editing part, and I don't like to do book, uh, the outlines. I don't like that part of it. I like to just start writing. And so it, that's really um, the tedious part for me. And I, I don't love as much. I love the marketing, but I don't like to talk about myself so much. So that's kind of hard when you're an author. Oh, I, yes, it is. But, you know, when when you're in this kind of business and when you as the author are your own brand, uh, you have to do that brand building and you have to promote yourself as hard as that may be for you, as as much as you may not want to do it. It's absolutely necessary. Well, you do have to build the brand. And that's why I'm thankful for people like you who uh, take the time to conduct an interview and lead a podcast and give me the opportunity to talk about the great work we're doing. Oh, well, I love the opportunity and I love, you know, hearing lessons from authors and lessons from you. This is your third book and your last book was around betting on talent and how leaders can invest in talent. But now you're looking at it from the other side in how can somebody make themselves talent worth betting on. So how does this book differ from your first two? Oh, I love the way you put that. Well, the the, the biggest way that it differs, I describe it similarly to how you did. I, it's my pleasure and bet on talent. Now, it's my pleasure is not in print anymore. People go looking for that and it's on sale third party on Amazon for, you know, like $90. And But that's okay because bet on talent includes all the content of it's my pleasure plus more. So you don't have to buy that book anymore. Just buy uh, Bet on Talent. But Bet on Talent was written uh, to help leaders learn to select and keep extraordinary talent. And Crush Your Career teaches talent how to be extraordinary. And I think of it this way, you know, for most of my career, I've worked with the leaders, but I've also had an enormous opportunity to mentor a lot of people and coach and lead. And, and this is my gift back. The interesting thing about this book is I wrote as much as I could about my mistakes because we learn best from mistakes. And if we can learn from other people's mistakes without making them ourselves, that's even better, right? So crush your, <laughs> crush your career is all about, uh, it starts in the very early part of your uh, getting a job and building a career and navigating the landmines and building relationships and managing your own performance and development and goes actually the whole life cycle of your career. I even talk about retirement because even if you're in the early stages of your career, if you don't think about retirement then, then it's probably not going to turn out the way you want it to if you don't have an early plan. So I cover the whole cycle and crush your career. Something that I think a lot of uh, younger people, when they're early in their career or even before they start the career, say say they're in college or or they're in those years where they're still trying to figure out their career, um, and and th- this is speaking from my own mistake as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think enough people realize that the first step isn't getting the job. Um, I think before you even get the job before you even start seeking for the job, I think you've got to understand what it is you're actually looking for and what your calling is, what your purpose is. And you talk a lot about that. You you talk about your personal purpose and finding your calling. So can you walk me through how someone can find their purpose in order to help them find their job? You bring out a great point. And I talk about knowing yourself before you even start trying to figure out what your career is. And your calling is part of knowing yourself because you can't really present yourself to a future employer if you don't know what you're presenting. So understanding your calling and the best possible scenario is when your calling and career can line up together. Sometimes that's not possible for people. Sometimes for whatever reason, they have this calling um, that they can't live out fully in their career, and they do it uh, outside their vocation, and they find other ways to do that. And we can talk about that, but 
finding your calling, first of all, it's it's what gets you up in the morning. What do you care about so much um, that you're just passionate about? You you can't wait to get up the next day to live that out. The second thing I think about is is what do you do best? You know, probably better than other people um, is another way to find that calling. What do others tell you you do best? Um, I phrase it this way because I'm a person of faith. I talk about what is it that you do where you feel God's pleasure, you know, and that you just know you're doing the thing you were created to do. And some of those, those are some of the ways people can discover their calling or, or reflect on it within themselves. But I also think it's so helpful to go to your mentors, your coaches. Um, if you're a young person, even your parents, um, other people who know you really well to say, okay, so what do you see in me? And let people speak truth into you to help you um, figure that out. And, you know, it's okay if you don't know exactly as you're starting out what that is. Sometimes you have to live into it. When I started my career, I thought that I was going to be in advertising. And I didn't understand really what my calling was. I, I, I don't think I could have articulated it. I thought it was something totally different. And then within a couple of years of being in the world of human resources and selecting uh, talent, what I realized is that my path was to help other people find their path. And so even with the release of this third book, I'm still doing that. That's still my calling. My vocation has changed. My career has changed. I have a totally different job, but it's still helping other people find their path. It sounds like that exercise isn't necessarily something that that you can do uh, overnight or in the span of like one week or one month or so. And you know, honestly, I think back to myself and I feel like I've had multiple callings throughout my career. And I feel like that I'm I'm currently on a new calling than than what I was on a few years ago. Do do you see that with others? Do do you think that someone can have multiple callings based on their season in life? Well, sure. I think anything's um, possible. I think there are people who pursue a single direction, much like I would say that while I've done a lot of different things, it comes back to this one point that I made a moment ago. But I think there are other people who take totally different shifts. And because of the way, because we grow and we learn and life circumstances change and we get insight and wisdom. And you and I know that as we get older, we get more insight and wisdom. And when those things happen, I think we we can be we can feel called to something else. A lot of times, depending on someone's calling, too, it can take opening ourselves up to the fact that there's probably going to be positions, job roles that will exist years from now that people aren't even thinking of today. Oh, absolutely. Jobs that haven't even been invented yet. And so as people go into the workforce and you know, you think about what just happened. The pandemic eliminated entire sectors of the workforce, but it also created new opportunities that we, um, I'm sure some people saw coming, but not everybody did. And all of a sudden there's new opportunities. So, you know, I hope that, you know, pandemics are, are much more rare and that that doesn't drive it, but just the environment, just things that happen, uh, cause shifts where sometimes people make that leap and and it creates new opportunity that's never been there before. I think it helps to be able to have that sort of mindset in your career, no matter what your career is, to be able to recognize and see new opportunities versus seeing doors simply being closed. Yes, absolutely. So if we think about people who are uh, in their career development or embarking on a career there, there there's a few different stages you know you you have someone who's very early in their career say someone who is in college right now or graduating college right now what advice would you give to someone in school right now that's starting that's just now starting to look for jobs uh, given our current career environment well, I, you know, I have a son that's a junior in college. And so we've had endless conversations about the circumstances and he's not quite out there, but he had, he went through it with internships because it, it changed the internship for his senior summer uh, tremendously as it did for lots of folks. And so 
It's the same process, but sometimes it's not as easy. And what I mean by that, it's the same thing. It's it's creating a brand for yourself through um, your online profile, your LinkedIn profile, the networking that you do. Um, and that's, you know, it's so important to build those relationships and to maintain them and nurture them so that they'll be available to you uh, when needed and you can be available to them as needed. And do all of those things. But the difference is what that produced uh, for a lot of people just a year or a year and a half ago uh, was pretty simple. You know, I, I look back in my my 26-year-old son, this would be my middle son, not the one we were just talking about. And he was in a job, he'd been in the job six months. And within six months, he had three job offers. In fact, when the publisher really encouraged me to write on this topic, I pushed back. And I said, I don't want to write this book. I said, the, the, the people who are going to read this book won't need it. They have multiple job offers without even looking for a job. They're not going to need it. And they kept pushing me. Well, interestingly, I turned in the first draft of this book in March of 2020. <laughs> and because of the pandemic, I spent the summer editing um, to include, you know, a lot of new information because it changed things. But um, all of a sudden that the book was needed. So it's still the same things that we talk about that's part of the job hunt process, but it requires a couple of extra things, persistence and resilience. It's going, it's just harder, but it's not impossible. It doesn't mean you're not going to get a job. You are. It just might take a little bit longer and might require you to just keep at it. And that's always my advice is just like, keep going. Just don't stop. Don't get discouraged. Just keep going. And I think that it takes a lot more upfront preparation, upfront work, probably before you even start looking for a job. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about earlier about building your brand. I'm trying to think of the Chinese proverb, you know, that starts, you know, the the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. So if you're trying to build your brand for career development, you know, the best time to do that was, you know, a year or two ago. If not then, then start today. You said that there's two facets, two areas for someone to build their brand. One is in their online and digital footprint. The other is in networking. Talk to me about networking. What can somebody do as far as building their network and creating relationships to help their career development? Well, the first thing you want to do is get involved in every opportunity that's put in front of you to be part of an industry conference or a, you know, a, a and a lot of this is going on virtual, but just jump right in um, virtually, however it's happening. But it, my favorite source right now is just LinkedIn. Um, there are others too, Indeed, Glassdoor. They're great for people starting out in the job market, but getting there and really learning how to create that digital presence on LinkedIn, finding the groups you need to join that are in your career interest area, and then you know, working through one person at a time, find somebody who's, you know, in the career you want to be in, perhaps in a company or an organization you want to be in that you that went to your school that's an alumni. Alumni are some of the most helpful people. Reach out to them on LinkedIn. Say, I'm trying to, this is what I'm trying to do. This is who I am. I'd love to chat with you for a few minutes. And, you know, I think people don't do those things with people they don't know because they, they don't like rejection. But you'll be surprised how many times you're going to get a yes and that yes is going to lead to the next person you need to talk to. And, you know, that's going to lead to the next situation. And again, it's about persistence. Sometimes you will get a note. Sometimes somebody doesn't have time to help you at that moment. But that's how you go about it. And you just keep being persistent. Um, and then don't always make it about you. You know, one of my one of um, some of my colleagues that I enjoyed working with the most would, you know, we would come together because we were working on something specific and perhaps you know, they even needed something from me. But at the end of the conversation, they would say, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And don't forget to ask that question because it's through helping someone else that you might create the relationship that you need to get where you're trying to go. In sales, I've I've always heard the, uh, the term, you know, like ABC, always be closing. And I think it was about um, I think it was about eight years ago where I created my own mantra, uh, ABH, always be helping. 
Oh, love that. And that yeah, served great. me pretty well. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to remember that one, Matt. So we talked about networking. And then on the other side of building a brand is in your online digital presence, essentially how you show up in social media. So I've seen all the negative stories. I've seen stories about where people can get fired from a job because of something they did on social media. I hear about people not getting a job, not getting hired because of their social media presence. But tell me about the flip side to that. Can somebody use their social media presence to their advantage to help them get a job? Absolutely. So employers are going to look. They might not tell you that they're potential employers. They're not telling you, but they're going to look for you. They're going to Google you. So I recommend you Google yourself and see what comes up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, all the negative stuff, you want to you want to get away from that. That was, you know, that's fine when you're in college and high school and, you know, you're doing your thing. But now you're going if you're going into the professional world, you've got to create a professional pre- presence everywhere you are. And I talk about, you know, it's it, it, you need to fit the job you're going into. So if you're going into the you know, more corporate environment, then you're going to have this more corporate professional type image that you want to project. If you're creative, you want a little bit more of a creative image and a look to yourself in your headshot. If you're going into healthcare, you want to create a caring brand for yourself. So figuring out what brand matches and then start um, building towards that. So the first thing you want to do is get rid of all the, the negative stuff. You know, I read a story the other day where this guy was, um, looking to join this organization and the CEO uh, went on his social media and saw his Twitter. And it was just, you know, it was just laced with really um, vulgar profanity. And so he didn't select them. And actually the recruiter, it was through a headhunter, the recruiter went back and told him why. That, oh, wow. And he said, the CEO looked at my social media. I said, yes. And uh, interestingly, the recruiter said the guy cleaned up his social media after that, um, but he was still in the same job. And so, you know, people do look, so make it make it positive and then talk about the things, you know, if you're pursuing a certain type of career, especially on your LinkedIn profile, those are the things you want to post about and talk about. And you want to you want to post learnings that you have from other people that show insight into how you're growing and um, you want to actually advocate for other people who are successful and doing great things in your chosen profession. And, you know, you want to make sure that your headshot, you're not in the shadows and look like you're witness protection, but, you know, mm-hmm. that you go and get you a nice looking headshot that people uh, can see what you look like. And, you know, you, you're not in there with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, you know, your kids or something, but it's just, you know, a nice, you want a nice appearance to that. And then, you know, there's so much information. Again, I just, I send people to LinkedIn because they, there's so much information out, out there on their side alone about how to make a great looking profile. But you want to be sure that, you know, you've included your experiences, that you have a few recommendations on there um, from other people about work that you've done for them, um, that you include the skills that you have. And that, um, you know, everything is in great order and there aren't any errors in it, that things are, you know, well presented. And when you create that, and then, you know, that goes for everything else too, though, just because that's your professional look, that doesn't mean that your, you know, your other areas, you should be anything less, um, especially if you're in the job market. You talked about in your digital footprint, in your social media presence, advocating for others. Explain a bit more about that and how can that be helpful? I think that's probably something that I've, uh, you know, come to learn along the way in my career. But um, when I mean about advocating for others, when you see other people are doing great things and accomplishing things, encourage them. Uh, for one thing, I mean, it, it that's a great presence for you. It's first of all, it's a, it's an authentic thing to, hopefully it's an authentic thing to do is just to encourage others. That makes our whole marketplace and business stronger when we're advocating for others. But also I think that it puts you in the best possible light too, as a team player and somebody who's collaborative, uh, who's not just all about their brand, but is interested in promoting other people's brand as well. 
I think that's a lesson that not enough people have learned and are understanding, especially as they're trying to build their own brand. You know, earlier we talked about being comfortable, being able to promote yourself, but it can't always be just you promoting yourself. And to your point, it, it makes sense and it helps other leaders see you as being a team player, as being a leader when you advocate and when you promote other people. Well, and hopefully that'll return back to you as well. I mean, again, it's not a reason to do it. It's not a quid pro quo kind of thing. But right. hopefully if you do it enough and you become authentic at that, that other people will advocate for you as well. That's the hope. That's the hope, especially if you're doing great work. We talk about how you build your brand, how you get noticed, but then when it actually comes to uh, interviewing for a job, you know, organizations are looking for attributes, traits in new employees. And you write that they're looking for, you know, character, competency, and chemistry. Why are those so important? And how can someone make sure that they showcase those traits when they're in that interview process? I think giving people a framework to work with helps them and this is, I use this actually in my coaching of candidates, you know, here's, here's a framework of what they're looking for and what you can work on to present to them. Um, when we're just kind of all over the place and looking at things from, you know, unrelated questions, that's a little harder. Character, they're looking for character that matches the organization. So they're looking for someone whose personal values align. They don't have to be the same exact values, but that they align. So what you want to do is make the interviewer job interviewer's job easy. So study the organization, know what their core values are, and be prepared to talk about when given the opportunity how your own core values align and give them examples or stories about yourself when you've demonstrated those values so that they get a sense of what your character is. Um, and you're in, you don't want to wait to be asked necessarily. You want to look for those openings. Um, you know, when they, for example, this is a common question. Why do you want to work here? Well, I really like this culture. Don't stop there. Lots of people do. Oh, I like the culture. Okay, great. Go ahead and tell the interviewer what it is you like about the culture. And you don't want to talk about, you know, I like Friday afternoon happy hours or whatever it is. <laughs> That's not that's not the culture part you want to talk about. You want to talk about the deep meaning of the culture. So either talk about the purpose of the organization or its mission or its core values, how they align with you, and then give them examples of those core values that are core to you that match up with theirs. If you manage that question that way, I promise you, you'll impress your interviewer. Um, that's So when, you know, it's a simple question of why you want to work here. Well, that's your entry into talking about basically your character and letting them see your character there. When we talk about competency, of course, we're talking about competency for a specific role. And you're going to get lots of questions about competency. And hopefully, if you have a good interviewer, they're asking you behavioral questions. And they're so they're already asking for the examples. Tell me about a time when you did such and such. Give me an example of how you managed this. Um, so prepare for your interview that way. Prepare that you're going um, you know what your highlights were, you know where you struggled, and you're going to give examples, and you're specifically going to talk about what you learned from it. Um, that's what they're going, you know, when you talk about the things you did well, still talk about what you learned from it. Not as if you knew everything and um, you didn't need to learn anything from that. When you make, and when you talk about your mistakes, give them insight into what you did differently the next time. Don't necessarily wait to be asked be prepared for those things and go ahead and jump in and give them information. The more you help the interviewer along, the better the interview will go. Lastly, about chemistry, you know, chemistry that matches the team that you would work with. And that doesn't mean everybody gets along. Um, it's nice if they get along and that's part of chemistry, but real great team chemistry is when you can go in and you can collaborate with the other people in the team while still bringing your unique and diverse point of view to the team, that you're actually able to influence the team. And so when you get into questions about working on a team, you want to talk about your experiences. And 
even if you if you've never really you know you've only had part time jobs, if you had a part time job, you were probably part of a team or a team you were part of in school or a work project in school that you worked together on. Talk about your role and how you influence that team with your unique perspective, because that's what they're looking for. We could talk for days on all of this, Matt, but that's kind of a very high level look at that framework about how you can approach the interview, um, addressing those three areas to help actually help your interviewer interview better. I think of it from my perspective and what I like to preach, it's 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 creating a simple experience for the interview. Mm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I have a good understanding from you on how someone can go about showing how they created good chemistry, good chemistry in previous teams, good chemistry with previous experiences. But let's talk a little bit deeper about character and competency. First, on character. So you talked about how someone can research and find the company's purpose, their core values. And some of that information is readily available on a company's website. Sometimes the information is not so easy to find. So what if someone can't find that information? Or is there a way for them to go a little bit deeper beyond just you know, a one-sentence purpose statement in, in researching that company? Yeah, I think there's um, the company's website is a great place to start, but I'd never use that as the only place when you're deciding about a job or you're searching for a job. Because what just like they're going to want to know what other people say about you, you want to know what other people say about them. So the the next place I might go is Glassdoor or Indeed and look at the reviews that are written there. And then again, Search your network. If you're plugged in, for example, LinkedIn, you know, plug in your school and see who works there that went to that, you know, that you went to school with that works there. See if you can um, find somebody that you can personally talk to. If you don't get that before that first interview and you're continuing to pursue the company, there's nothing wrong with asking if you can talk to people about their experience and it, you know, it'll be people they picked for you, but at least you could talk to, you know, not just somebody who's in the interviewing process, but um, somebody who works there, maybe who has a similar role to the role that you would have. But that's, that's the process I would take. I would go, I would dig a little deeper because I do think you can find out that information. Um, And I think it's really important, not just to do well in the interview, but it's important about you even considering to work there because culture, you know, there are three things that this, this generation is looking for. They're looking for a great culture. They're looking for opportunities to grow and development develop, and they want to be about something bigger than themselves. And so culture is that first thing and you're going to have to make a little more effort or you could end up in a place you don't want to be. That makes a lot of sense because if you end up in a place where you don't want to be, it's going to be really uncomfortable and you won't be performing at your best. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in recognizing that, you know, we're trying to get somebody to like us so much and offer us a job that we forget that 50% of the decision is ours and that we need to be checking that company out or that organization, that nonprofit, whatever, out just as closely as they're checking you out. And so that means you want to check, quote unquote, their references, just like they check your references. You want to you want to reference them with people. You want to, um, you know, do carefully research the opportunity that you're getting into, just like they're carefully researching you, which includes, by the way, showing up to every single interview with well thought out and great questions. They're looking for you to do that. And it's really a negative if you if you don't have those. So you might as well take advantage of that opportunity and ask some really great questions. The hiring manager is expecting you, the candidate, to be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. They should be, or they're not very good at what they do. <laughs> well, true. <laughs> One of the things you talked about was in the interview process, interview questions, uh, hopefully behavioral type questions. Tell me about a time when this happened that help you showcase your competency. Do you have a recommended framework for, for how someone can answer these types of questions? 
so that they can give a good, clear, simple answer every time? Sure. I Here's something that works in your mind for several different, and I'll explain, I'll explain it and then I'll tell you where else it works in your career. But I use this a lot. When you're having conversations about your competency, talk about your responsibilities, the specific skills that you have, and what your results have been. What have you contributed to a team or an organization in the past through those responsibilities and those skills? And I think that that helps you set it up so you don't get you don't get caught up in opinions and feelings. Um, there's a place for those things, but not when you're talking about this. You don't get caught up in those things, and you don't get caught up in what your tasks were, because Tasks are fine, but tasks are only a path to get to the result. And whether you're interviewing for a job or you're trying to get a promotion or a pay increase, it's really all the same. The results are what matter. And so the tasks only matter to to the extent of what result did they produce. So I think thinking in that way of knowing that you want to talk about your responsibilities, the skills you gain from those responsibilities, and then the results you produced um, in that responsibility. Results are so key. And I don't think enough people focus on that aspect. They, they tend to think about what they did in that moment or what they were doing in that job without showcasing the actual results. Well, are not, are not really having that as a plan all along it is it, that it's about results. Um, and, you know, just, checking things off a task list that aren't necessarily really taking them anywhere. And you really have to know the expectations and have the goal in mind to be able to produce those results. All right. So let's say someone has done a really great job of showcasing their character, their competency, and their chemistry. Congratulations. They just got the job and they're, they're starting here on day one. So once someone gets the job, what should they do to not only keep the job, but also thrive in that job? Well, I think, first of all, the first 90 days are crucially important. And there's several things to do during that time period uh, to set you up for success. Believe it or not, I'm going to use this word again. One of the first things is now you got to go deeper into the culture. So in the interviewing process, you learned about the purpose and mission and values and um, what the organization does in the community and and you might have heard about some of their traditions and things like this. Now there's another piece of the culture. You've got to learn how things get done, how decisions are made, um, what boundaries there are, and how you navigate through all that. That's really important. Well, how are you going to learn that? Well, that's the second thing is that you're going to learn that by building relationships with people. And and that's something to jump on right away, whether whether it's a virtual let's grab coffee, or it's a physical, let's grab coffee. Um, you know, start with the immediate people on your team and then go to the people your team serves and then find out who the other, in those conversations, figure out who the influencers are in the organization and ask for um, time to meet with them. And like I said, it's just, it's all about the grabbing the virtual or real coffee or lunch or whatever it is um, to have that opportunity. That's how you're going to learn about the culture. And at the same time, you're building important relationships uh, because, you know, nowadays you're not, you're not likely to stay in whatever role it is for very long. Or if you stay in the role, it's not likely you're going to have the same boss for very long or your team's going to be the same. So it's really important to start right away building those relationships because you don't know where you're going to end up or who's going to end up working with you at some point. The, the third thing after culture, building relationships, the third thing that you've got to be doing right off the bat is nailing down those expectations with your supervisor. You have to know where you're going. Talked about that a moment ago. It's like um, you have to know what their expectations are for your first 90 days, for your first six months, for your first year. You talked about a job description in the interview process, but now you've got to bring that job description to life setting goals around each of the things that you're supposed to accomplish. You need to know what success is going to look like. So those are the three things that like immediately you need to do in the first 90 days. There's some more things. Um, If you're a young professional, you actually want to 
learn more about professionalism. What does that look like? Um, and then the thing that I always tell people um, right from the start of your career is the other thing I want to recommend you do, and I didn't do this, and this is why I tell people, is make a plan for taking care of yourself. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean taking care of yourself. It's like, how are you? You're going to get really busy. Busier, you know, when you were in college, you had a, you you were busy and you had a lot of things to do, but you had you had interesting blocks of time to do things. Now, all of a sudden, you're in at least a nine to five, um, maybe more hours, and you start pushing things aside that you would normally do. All of a sudden, your workout becomes less important, or time with friends becomes less important, or your daily quiet time. Um, and so you actually, a lot of times what happens is you forget to do those things because you're young and they don't impact you as much. And then all of a sudden, 10, 10 years down the road, um, physically, you're not doing well. Spiritually and mentally, you're not doing so well. And it's impacted your career because you haven't taken good care of yourself. You can't do all the things um, you need to do either um, mentally, emotionally, or physically. And so that's something that a lot of young people um, do think about. And then a lot of young people don't think about as they're going into their career. And if you're one of those people that didn't do it from the beginning, it's never too late to start. And I I finally figured that out a little bit later in my career and it changed everything when I did. I learned that later in my career too. And it absolutely does help. It can affect people in the long run, but I also think that it can affect people day to day. It can sound counterintuitive, but I think if you don't take the time to focus on yourself, if you don't take the time to focus on your health, your diet, uh, your, um, your sleeping habits, your, your spiritual habits, all of those things can make you very unproductive on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, and you've added some really good thoughts into mine. Uh, you know, things like, I mean, sleep is really, really important to being at your very best. And oftentimes, again, you know, when we're in our 20s, we can skip a lot of those things, but it sure catches up with us, doesn't it? It really does. Oh, my goodness. I, I am not the same person that I was 20 plus years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness I'm not either. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we're all growing and we're always getting better. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I read an interesting stat the other day. Corn Ferry did a study that people who are learners, who are constantly learning, uh, make more, earn more money over the course of their lifetime. That, that that there's there's true facts. That it, I mean, it makes sense. It's kind of logical, but um, investing in yourself and growing in that way is um, really important, and it will help your career. It absolutely does. And the person who understands that early on in their career is going to excel so much more. But your career can't always be perfect. No one is perfect. No one is infallible. Whether it happens in that first 90 days or after your first 90 days, you're going to make a mistake somewhere. And you actually share a story about making a mistake in your career um, through with um, the misspelling of a word that was actually, you know, a common word in your industry. So how did you bounce back from that? Oh, wow. Yes. Early in my career, really, I had I had not been on the job very long at all. And being a journalism major, I was so excited because I was in the HR field, but I was getting to use my journalism skills. And I'd been asked to recreate, to create a printed recruiting brochure back then. Everything was in print, nothing was digital. And so I created this brochure. I was so proud of it. I thought it looked so great and had them all printed And my boss walked out to my desk and he put it down in front of me and he had circled the word restaurant. Since I worked for a restaurant chain, it was not good that I had misspelled it and missed that error. And I remember exactly that those brochures cost $5,000 to print and they would have to be reprinted. And at that time in my life, $5,000 felt like an enormous amount of money. It is a lot of money, but it felt like an enormous amount of money that I'd made this horrible, horrible mistake. 
thankfully I worked in a culture and my previous culture, I probably would have been fired for that, by the way. But in the company that I worked for, this was when I was at Chick-fil-A, they had a culture of, you know, um, failure was not fatal and you could make mistakes. You just needed to learn from them. And right. so I did learn from that. I became much more careful about things. And, and later, and, and some people who work for me probably doesn't, probably do not understand why I was such a stickler for details on some things like this and such a proofreader, but it was from that error. And I just was convinced I would never do anything like that again. And to my knowledge, I didn't um, made other kinds of mistakes, but I didn't make that one again. And I think that's the thing about mistakes is like make your mistakes, um, own them, you know, don't try to cover them up. Don't make excuses, just own them. And then don't make the same mistake twice. I think a lot of people when they make some mistakes, uh, may treat it like it's the end of the world, like, oh my goodness. And they fret over it. It consumes them. It can cause them a lot of stress. And then it could even send them like on a downward spiral to where to where that caused them to make even more mistakes. Luckily, you know, early on in my career and early on in my career at FedEx, I learned if you make a mistake, ask yourself a couple of questions. Did you cause one of our planes to fall out of the sky or did you cause our stock price to, uh, to actually move negatively? If not, you're okay. But then <laughs> quickly jot down, what did you learn from the mistake? And then what are the action steps you're going to take to make sure that it doesn't happen again? I like that a lot. That's a great perspective. Yeah. It, it, it's all about having perspective. And then having that perspective helps you to more quickly take ownership because you've moved on from that uh, fear and dread over having have made the mistake. Well, I, and I think that you know, some of that, we haven't talked about this, but one of the most important things, Matt, that I think early in career is to have self-awareness. And it's such a hard thing to get. First of all, it's because you have to find people who will tell you the truth, and then you have to be willing to listen to them. And lastly, you have to be willing to change because of what you learned. And uh, but, you know, self-awareness, the way I say I, I see it is it's how to get wisdom. And, you know, wisdom is usually achieved by as you go through life and having experiences. But if you can shortcut it by expediting, you know, using the experiences that you have and experiences of others and having people speak truth into you, listening to that and trying to make those adjustments, um, the faster you get self-awareness, which I think does come with wisdom, the faster you'll be more effective. And I think the faster you'll be crushing your career, actually. Recognizing that when you have people sharing this information, sharing this feedback with you, if they don't like you, if they don't care about you, they're not going to take the time to share that information. So any information they're sharing with you is a gift, is information that they're giving to you to actually help you grow. Even when it's given to you in a way that doesn't feel like a gift. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Which happens sometimes. I mean, I would hope not, but it does. And and I think I will, I mean, I'll admit that. I don't think that I accepted early in my career you know, I was great with feedback that was given to me in the way I wanted to hear it. But sometimes you don't get it exactly the way you want to hear it. It's still a gift. And uh, that's and if you can take it that way, whether they meant it as a gift or not, it's a gift to you because you have information you didn't have. And now you can do something about it. Instead of, you know, crying on the inside or instead of trying to argue with them or defend yourself, just say thank you. Absolutely. We've talked about people, you know, in their career development when they're looking for a job. But what if someone's not even looking for a job today, but maybe looking for one, one, two, three years from now? What should they be doing today, if anything? I think that that's that's the best time to actually be preparing, because if you wait till you're in that situation, you're probably already behind. Um, so I think it's a lot of the same things. It's like at some point you're going to be looking for another job. So, you know, keeping all of your profiles up to date is very, very important. Um, continuing to grow in those areas, the responsibilities, the skills, the results, and keeping track of all that. Because sometimes we're so busy doing those things that, you know, we don't, we don't 
put them in our computer somewhere. We don't make notes of those things. And then when it comes time to actually talk about them, you're like digging through, okay, what did I actually do two years ago that was important to my company? So it's good to kind of keep your own journal of what you've accomplished and how, and how you accomplished it with those examples that we've all we've talked about throughout this entire interview so that you're prepared when the time comes and you're looking for a job. And of course, the other thing is don't wait to network till you need a job. You know, be a part of industry organizations, uh, you know, continue with your alumni groups, uh, continue with things in the community. Sometimes that's where your next opportunity is going to come is through community volunteerism or board service or those types of things. So um, continue to always develop your network. The people who navigate job change, especially unexpected job change, do it best when they uh, continue to nurture a long-term network of folks. I had a um, friend who not long ago, and this was before the pandemic, he was already back way before this, but a few years ago, he decided to give up his job. He had an amazing job. Um, I assume he was probably very well compensated for that job. And he got a mobile home and his family spent the year touring the United States. They were homeschooling their children. So they were able to do that on the road and they toured the United States for a solid year and he didn't work. And I thought that was, I mean, when this happened, my third child was going off to school and I thought, wow, what a great thing to do because this time goes and his were still at home and they had this opportunity and still young enough that they would do it with them. And so um, what a great family building opportunity. Of course, they didn't know they're going to spend another year so close together <laughs> um, right. after they got back. But I, I thought amazed. it was only going to be for just one year. Right. But it really is not about their trip that I'm talking about. I was amazed that he did that because I'm thinking, how do you get back into it? When you leave a job like that, and I realized after they came back and he was thinking about what he was going to do next, he's one of the most, in fact, I knew him because of how well he networked with me over 30 years. He was so well networked. I mean, he just, not only was he a very skilled person and capable, but he had this healthy network. He nurtured that network while he was gone for a year through blogging and engaging with people while they were, you know, out on the road. But he nurtured that um, network so well that after he left his great career, he just stepped right back into things. And um, that's what a great network will do for you. So regardless of whether you're in the job hunt or not, keep working on your network. So leaders, leaders who have, you know, been going through their career development may have some other steps they want to take. But they've also got people that are looking to them, uh, looking to them as you know their leader, their shepherd, and the best leaders are those that help their people grow. So, what can leaders do to help their team members in their team members' career development? Wow, there's so, so, so many things that a leader. I mean, it's really it, actually it's their responsibility. A leader's responsibility is to grow more leaders. And if they're not doing that, then they're really not leading uh, because whether it's for that organization or uh, just the world in general, we can't we can't make it without more leaders. So that's what a leader does. That's the very definition is they grow more leaders. Uh, and so they're going to do that by setting expectations and making them as clear as possible and then creating goals around those expectations, holding people accountable to the expectations, and then giving constructive and fruitful feedback about how well those goals were met around those expectations. And that simplifies it. And I know you love things that are simple. I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that that sounds very easy, but I've just described what a leader does. This is their job. And what I found over the course of my career is that people get really involved in whatever their function is that they're leading. And they forget that this is core to their job, because if you do these things well, then the people will lead the function that you're responsible for. Your job is to lead them and they'll lead the function. But what happens is a lot of leaders, you know, I'm the CMO. My job is to come up with the most creative marketing solutions for my company. No, 
Your job is to help your team come up with the most creative solutions. And you're going to do that by setting expectations, goals, holding people accountable, and giving great feedback. And by the way, of course, celebrating success when it happens. And I think a lot of leaders can sometimes be afraid of their people leaving them if they develop too much or if they grow too much or if they do much more of that function of that organization. But at the same time, if you take more of an abundance mindset when it comes Mm -hmm. to your people, and if you help your people grow into being other leaders, and if that means that they end up leaving your organization, there are people that are watching you, people that are watching your organization, and they're going to want to come work for you if you're that type of leader. Oh, sure. You know, the other thing is I think some leaders feel threatened. You know, they, they don't they want to be sure that they're seen as the smartest person in the, in the room. And they oh. really shortchange themselves yeah. because they select talent that way. And instead of selecting people who are smarter than them, they make sure that they're still going to remain on top. And sooner or later, that catches up with you and your team doesn't grow enough to accomplish the results. And then you're the one who's really who turns out to fail. That's so true. And if you're the leader and you have a failing team, well, then the buck stops with you. Absolutely. Well, Dan, we talked about this last time when we talked about your book, Bet on Talent. But if you were to create a five song soundtrack for Crush Your Career, what songs would you include? (laughs) Well, okay. So, first is You Can Count on Me by Bruno Mars, because you can count on me to help you crush your career. Oh, very nice. And then, um, and I try to do multi-generational on my playlist this time, but whatever it takes by Imagine Dragons, um, are we willing to do whatever it takes to crush our career? And, you know, there comes a point that it's just about off to work we go. So the uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs ta- taught us, hi ho, hi ho, it's off to work we go. And then Probably we all can relate to Manic Mondays when we're crushing our career. It's the day of meetings. It's the day of um, drilling through uh, the first of the week. And then lastly, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger by Kelly Clarkson. And so when we're crushing it, we're getting stronger and stronger. There you go. Getting stronger and stronger. And if you follow these lessons in our intentional about your career development and are actually in a career where you feel like you're following your calling and your purpose, you don't have to have any dread of those manic Mondays. Yeah, that's right. Or or Sunday scaries too. The Sunday scaries. (laughs) I, I, I haven't had Sunday scaries in what feels like well over 10 years. So, um, I, I, I encourage people to really understand how to find their calling, how to find their purpose, how to grow their brand through all these lessons that you're sharing and crush your career. And if you do, you likely won't have those Sunday scaries. But we've learned a lot of lessons here just in this conversation. But where can people go to learn more about you and crush your career? Well, there are several places. First, I have my own website, deanturner.com, D-E-E-A-N-N, turner.com. And then this brand new book uh, that just released as you're listening to this this week is crushyourcareerbook.com. And it'll take you to all kinds of free downloads and uh, information. And you can, of course, order the book there. And then please follow me. I love to connect with professionals on LinkedIn. Uh, and then I also have a Facebook author page, which is Deanne Turner Author, and also an Instagram at Deanne Turner and on Twitter at Deanne Turner. I'd love for you to follow me and connect there. So all the places and awesome bonuses with your book as well to help people uh, take those lessons and actually apply them immediately. Yes, yes. You'll find some things there. And then I hope to continue adding that uh, because that's looks like, in fact, uh, 
there'll be a podcast. Uh, it's just going to be an eight series. I'm not competing with you, Matt, but I just wanted <laughs> to be able to get some other experts to talk about these important things with me. And so there'll be a podcast coming out a little bit later in the spring highlighting this. And then an e-course is in the works on Crush Your Career. So lots of resources yet to come and possibly even a second uh, in-person book tour uh, planned for the spring of 2022 because we didn't really have that with 2021 with COVID. So hopefully I'll be out and about on campuses and so forth in the spring of 2022. Oh my goodness. I am looking forward to that book tour then. how, How fun. Deanne, thank you so much. It's great seeing you again. And congrats on your third book, Crush Your Career. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure to be with you once again, Matt. I hope you enjoyed this From the Vault discussion with Deanne Turner. So go and check out her book, Crush Your Career. It's full of lessons to help you excel no matter where you are in your career journey. Next week, we'll be back to our regular schedule. So if you're not already subscribed, then go ahead and hit the subscribe button because it's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Heather Younger. Heather's an international keynote speaker, and she's the founder and CEO of Employee Fanatics, a leading employee engagement firm. She's the host of the Leadership with Heart podcast, and she's the author of three best-selling leadership and employee engagement books, including her latest, The Art of Active Listening how people at work feel heard, valued, and understood. If you've been listening to the show for a while, then you know that one of the steps for empathizing with your customers and your employees is the process of actively listening to them. The problem is, most of us think we're doing a good job of actively listening, but we're not. There are some key steps that most of us leave out. Thankfully, Heather has a framework that helps ensure you include those steps every single time. And when you do active listening right, it'll make the difference between assuming what your people want and actually knowing what they want. And that's all the difference in the world. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Heather's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Keep it simple.